Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Ribbit Bryant, and there's Jerry Budweiser Rowland. <laughs> oh, man, that's a old callback. Mm-hmm. The Budweiser Frogs. Yep, man. They were no Spuds McKenzie, I'll tell you that. I know. Remember when they were on their lily pads going, what's up? Oh, yeah. I love that guy. Those guys. Those guys. Man, we've seen a lot of ads in our lifetime, haven't we? We've recorded a lot of ads in our lifetime. We have. We've really been contributing to the pile. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. You feeling froggy? (laughs) I'm really sorry. I had no idea this was going to happen. Um... I am feeling froggy, and right off the bat, we should go ahead and thank uh, Tracy T.V. Wilson, Tracy V. Wilson, yep. for Stuff You Missed in History Class, because this is one of her great, great animal articles. Yep. She's written the best. She really has. Um, this one doesn't contain the words mouth. What was it? Mouth, mouth parts. Mouth parts. Yeah. That's right. No. Nope. Yeah. She tried to work it in. She, it, just, it got edited out, I think. That's right. Um, so we are, we're talking frogs today, Chuck. I can't believe we haven't talked about them before. I know. I love frogs. Um, I love them too. And it's sad for us then because it turns out that frogs apparently are going extinct at an alarming rate. Entire species just dropping off the face of the earth. In fact, one species went extinct here in our fair city of Atlanta. Did you know that? Oh, really? Yeah. Last, um... Oh, September of 2016. So about a year ago, the very last uh, Rab's fringe-limbed tree frog died at the Atlanta Botanical Garden. Oh, wow. His name was Tuffy. And uh, from what I understand, he didn't like to be handled. That was his That was his choice, you know? Hmm. So he was the last of it. The, the species was found, I think, in the late 80s or late 90s. And we figured out pretty quickly that they were uh, endangered. And the last one that was heard in the wild was in, I think, 2005. And so they thought Tuffy was the last one. And so a frog species went extinct in Atlanta. And apparently that's just one domino out of many that's that's going on right now. There was a study from 2015 that concluded 3%, which is about 200 species of frog species, have gone extinct since the 1970s, right? Which is like, wow, that seems like a lot. Prepare for it to seem like even more. Are you ready for this? Yes. So f- amphibians and reptiles have really high extinction rates as it is. They apparently have uh, an extinction rate of about 10,000 times other animals. Wow. And frogs' extinction rate is higher than most other amphibians and reptiles. So the frogs are going fast, and the reason why it matters, besides the fact that we love frogs, is that they're also known as an indicator species. They're particularly fragile. They're found all over the world, and uh, they seem to be trying to tell us that the Earth is going lopsided as far as, well, the the global ecosystem goes. That's sad. Yeah. I remember we talked about those in, I think, was it Charismatic Megafauna? Yeah, I guess so. All right. so. We might as well 
get into this. I almost said jump into this, but now I'm hyper aware of bad frog puns. Yeah, sorry for everything. Uh, so Tracy makes a great point here. Um, talking about frogs, and if you just said there, what three percent of their of different species is two hundred. Yeah. So that shows you how many different species there are. Yeah. Um, it's difficult to kind of talk about frogs in one big sweeping way mm-hmm. because they differ so much. Um species to species they can be uh what is it the gold frog is less than a centimeter right then you have goliath frogs that are over a foot head to tail a foot 32 centimeters yeah a lot of them um a lot of them like to be out at night some of them are more active in the morning in the afternoon sometimes they live for a couple of years sometimes they live well not many many years but several years yeah, one one of the main things that frogs are known for, which is croaking or ribbiting, mm-hmm. that's it would seem like that's universal. It's not. There's plenty of species that don't make any noise. Yeah, you think of green or brown. Uh, there are pink frogs, right? Uh, all kinds of colors. There are blue frogs. <clears throat> um, the difference between toads and frogs isn't. We might as well just consider them one thing, from what I can tell, right? Yeah, toads. True toads belong to the boof. Phonidae family. Pretty <laughs> sure there's a better way to say it, but it's a specific family that belongs to the order Anura, which all frogs belong to the order Anura. So yeah. toads are frogs. But even within that distinction, um, there are some things that, that are like, no, that's actually a toad. Like toads tend to have eyes that are lower on its head yeah. and more football shaped, whereas a frog has eyes higher up on its head and they're usually quite round, right? Um, but there are certain toads that have those kind of eyes and there's certain frogs that have toad like eyes. So like there's, there's really, you can't pin frogs down unless you're in science class. Right. Even with their tails. That was great, man, by the way, <laughs> but even with their tails, right? So their, their order, like I just said, anura means tailless yeah. and it's, it separates them from uh, the other amphibians. Um, the fact that frogs don't have tails across the board, actually, no, there's two species that have tails. Yeah, they're very vexing. Uh, there's a coastal tailed frog and the mountain tailed frog. Uh, and I looked them up, you know, they're little tiny tails and they are the reproductive organs <clears throat> so of those species. It's a penis then. I don't understand why they don't just call it like the penis frog. There actually is a scrotum frog uh, on, get this. There's a scrotum frog population at Lake Titicaca. <laughs> you can't make this up. <laughs> this is what frogs are here for, is just to say amazing things. Uh, here's one thing I didn't know, and we're going to be dropping in frog facts throughout. Um, they molt. I had no idea that <laughs> frogs can molt. Every two days they can molt. Yeah. And they start out by um, eating their own skin around its mouth. They basically eat the skin around the mouth, then pull pull the rest of their skin over their head like a like a dirty t-shirt and then they eat that like a dirty t-shirt right imagine that man like you know when you get like a little your lip gets chapped and you kind of bite at like a little piece and you pull it off i'm doing that right like, now oh man it's a little raw yeah well imagine if that piece was like your your whole skin yeah and then you'd be a frog <laughs> or a toad either one i think i'm more down with the toads because frogs are generally the the slicker skin um yeah toads are the ones that kind of have the bumpy drier skin 
And I think they're the ones like when you pick them up and look at them, they like stare into your soul right back at you trying to talk. The toads do? I think so. Huh. Am I getting that confused with frogs? I don't know. Have you ever <laughs> kissed a frog? No, but I would. Under what circumstances? I don't know. A couple of drinks. A, a frog or a toad? <laughs> or would you kiss either one? I would kiss a toad, but then I would be a little, just because I love animals um, and think they all deserve affection, but I would not, I would think twice, and, and we're going to go over this later, but um, licking a frog for hallucinogenic uh, good times. Yeah, you might want to think even more than twice. Yeah, I would, I would, I would not want to go down that road. Right. But we'll, we'll get to that. There's, I think you can kiss a frog and not necessarily hallucinate. You can. You just have to plant it right on its big old mouth. That's and exactly if the frog really likes you, it'll be like, here, take my skin. <laughs> I was going to eat it myself, but you can have it. Uh, so the reason why I made that bad, uh, but good science joke about pinning frogs down is they are one of the go-to animals that you will dissect in school. And the reason why they're one of the go-to animals, it's not just because teachers hate frogs or that teachers love frogs, but it's that frogs, they're trying to teach kids about uh, internal organs mm-hmm. um, and not that of a frog. They're trying to teach them about themselves because it turns out when you cut open a frog, you might remember this, it's not um, a, a circuit board or a series of <laughs> um, balloons or golf balls. When you cut open a frog, there are heart and lungs and a stomach and a pancreas and a gallbladder and intestines and a liver. Yeah, largely connected in in a way that's similar to humans. Yeah, just all packed in that tiny little guy. Yeah. I mean, they're all tiny organs. Very cute, too. Appropriately sized. Yeah. They are cute. Remember that smell, though? Oh, the formaldehyde? The formaldehyde stink of death. Mm-hmm. And it was not a good smell. It was not good. Um, And so beyond just the internal organs, too, Chuck, like if you look at a frog skeleton, um, especially like its arms, its extremities, it bears a resemblance to a human anatomy as well, right? For sure. You've got um, a humerus, a, radia, a radius, and the ulna, just like with your arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the frog's legs in back, they have a femur, a tibia, and a fibula, just like your legs, too. Yeah, the the only difference is the radius and ulna are fused and the tibia and fibula are fused. Right. Whereas they're and, not in our bodies. And they have uh, scapula and and uh, clavicles, yeah. collarbones and, and shoulder blades, too, right? So mm-hmm. they're, like, they're just basically little people with big mouths. Sort of. Well, there's actually some big differences, too. They have fingers and toes. They do. They have usually, and again, it's tough to generalize here, but a lot of frogs have four fingers in the front, on their front feet, and five on their back. Yeah, and these little digits are going to be, they're going to vary from species to species according to what the frog's um, locomotion needs are. Right. So, like, if it's a tree frog, they're going to be long and flexy. So they can grab stuff. Uh, if they're swimmers and all frogs and toads, we should point out need water to live. Yeah, we really have to get into that part. Um, which we will. But they have little uh, webbed feet and toes, of course. Yeah, it makes it easier for them to swim. And what about the little burrowers? Yeah, some of them, I get the impression that they burrow um, to hibernate or estivate. Yeah. Emilio estivate. <laughs> 
We're feeling silly today, huh? I was watching Breakfast Club last night for the first time in years. How was it? It holds up, and I know that movie by heart. It's really remarkable how well I know that movie. But it it does hold up. I think so. Wow. The only thing that, you know, like, it's not a very diverse movie, like. Uh, no. You know, it's five, five white kids and a white principal. Throw in a little bit of casual racism here or there. Yeah. But I mean, you know, John Hughes has been accused of that in recent years. Oh, really? Yeah. Just sort oh, of. Oh, Long Duck Dong was his too, huh? Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, and like the only time there were, um, uh, people of uh, different ethnicities in his movies, they were kind of uh, joked about or aped. Yeah. And I'm sure it's funny how history can just like turn on you, you know? Yeah. Uh, he was probably like, wait, no, everybody loves me. I'm John Hughes. What do you mean? <laughs> we were all, we all thought this was great. Don't you remember? I'm John Hughes. Don't you know me? <laughs> yeah. It's very sad. Yeah. He was gone too soon. Um, where were we? Oh, Emilio Estevez. Oh yeah, the Emilio Estevate, which is like uh, <laughs> hibernation in warm temperatures or hot temperatures. When it gets so hot out, yeah, that for all intents and purposes you can't go hunt. You're just like it's too hot. Yeah, I'm gonna dig myself a little hole and and lay here until it cools off a little bit. Yeah, and the whole point of that was is that their feet uh, and hands are shorter and wider like shovels, and like Emilio Estevez, ironically. Yeah, that guy can <laughs> dig a hole faster than anyone you've ever seen. Uh, what are some of the different things? They don't have necks. You ever look at a frog? You, it, it, he doesn't have a big long neck that turns around and looks at you. They're just sort of these little squat uh, heads sitting directly on their bodies. Yeah, like Fred Flintstone. Yeah. And they, as a result, they can't turn their heads, right? No. You can't lift them up or down and, or turn them. If a frog ever turns his head and looks at you, then that is a evil possessed frog. Right. Which, I mean, if a frog's sitting there staring at you, especially if they're suddenly joined by some companions, mm-hmm. you should probably run away. <laughs> it, there's just something super creepy about him. I can't remember the movie, Chuck. What was the horror movie that features lots and lots of frogs? Oh, I don't know. It's like the point of them. I can't remember the name of it. No it's idea. It's from the 80s, I believe. I don't know. I will happily respond to anybody who writes in. Was it the day the frogs took over? <laughs> That's right. The day the frogs t- stood still. Frog, frog NATO? Frogs with an exclamation point. <laughs> uh, what else? They don't have ribs. Um, they have a pelvis that can slide up and down to help I thought it this jump. Was pretty cool. Which one? The pelvis? Yeah. Yeah. This is what? It has like a hole in it and it slides up and down the spine? I think so. So it can help it jump. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Um, and what else? Um, they, uh, they have, well, their eyes, Chuck, the eyes. Oh, yes. They have, um, so like I said, frogs typically have eyes that sit on the top of their head mm-hmm. and they can see quite well in a lot, like a very wide, uh, angle. They have a wide, wide view. Yes. Vantage point. Could have put that better, but <laughs> that helps compensate for the fact that they can't turn their heads. Right. Yeah. But, uh, Apparently, as as Tracy says, there what one eye is getting in information is not really overlapping with the other eye, so they don't have binocular vision. They have vision from two different eyes, and um, that sounds like okay, whatever, who cares? But if you think about the depth perception it would take to pick a fly out of the air with your tongue, yeah, 
it suddenly becomes quite impressive that they don't seem to have binocular vision. Totally. And have, have you, did you do any, uh, any research on their tongue? No. So Chuck, their tongue, right? Yeah. They don't have a tongue that's anchored to the back of their mouth like we do. Sure. It's anchored to the front and they can throw it out. And there was this one researcher who I think is working out of Georgia Tech who filmed leopard frogs and the leopard frog can catch an insect with its tongue in 0.07 seconds. Wow. Which is five times faster than humans blink. Holy cow. Right. So, um, researchers wanted to know, like, how are they doing that? If you're hitting a, a fly with your tongue, you're going to knock it away from you. How do they grab it? Well, sticky, and right? They figured that, yes, there was something sticky and they, they, um, they determined that frog saliva is a non-Newtonium fluid, which remember we covered oh, yeah. that in the ketchup episode. And just like ketchup, a frog saliva can turn sticky, um, or it can turn less sticky when you apply force to it. So when the tongue and the saliva on the tongue, more importantly, comes in contact forcefully with an insect, it thins out and it covers the insect. But the moment it starts coming back and, and, uh, the, the force reverses, and I'm sure I just got that wrong. I'm going to hear about, <laughs> about physics from everybody. Yeah. But once it stops being thin, it goes back to being viscous and somewhat sticky. And so now the, the fly or the insect has been covered in the sticky goo and is attached to the tongue and is being brought it back into the frog's mouth. Wow. And all that happens in less than, uh, eight hundredths of a second. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm sure they have some pretty super cool slow mo. Yeah, they do for sure. Uh, well, but since you mentioned the tongue though, because, uh, it isn't anchored in the back of their mouths. They can't use the tongue to push food down. So when a frog eats that they're, they also don't have like a jaw that they can chew like you would think, you know, like humans do. Right. Um, so they just swallow it in a couple of gulps and they actually, since they can't use their tongue, they use their eyeballs. <laughs> their eyes sink into the skull to push food down. So I just have to ask Chuck, where do frogs stand in relation to jellyfish and octopi now? Oh wow. Um not ahead of those two. Okay, so third, fourth, fifth, seventeenth? Well, if we're talking all animals, mm -hmm. um I don't know where to rank them, but if we're talking crazy stuff you should know animals, I would go with number three. Gotcha. For now. Okay. Uh and on those eyes, they have what's called a uh nictitating, is that right? Mm-hmm. Nictitating membrane. So you've probably seen when f frogs or toads go to uh, dive underwater, they have a film like, uh, what's the other animal that does that? Seems like we talked about that. We they, have. They have uh, a film that covers the eye. I think uh, alligators probably. Oh, that sounds about right. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Which would make sense because alligators are reptiles. Yeah. And these guys are somewhat related to reptiles. All right, so that's a lot of initial frog stuff, body, frog body stuff. So let's take a break, uh, and let's talk a little bit more about frog body stuff. All right.
right, dude. So we're back. We're, yeah, we, let's, we're about to talk about frogs getting it on. Well, quickly, though, we never mentioned the ears. Um, oh, yeah, that's a big one. You probably notice that frogs don't have these big, funny ears that stick off their head. Right. Uh, they do ha- have ears. They're just not external. That'd be hilarious. They just have the little, they do, that would be funny. They just have the little, uh, tympanum, the little eardrum behind each eye. Yeah. And you can apparently, if you know what you're doing, and most frog species tell whether a frog is a male or a female based on the size of their, uh, tympanum to their eyeball. In a male, I think the tympanum is bigger than the eye. And in a female, it's either about the same size or smaller. Yeah. So there you go. Now you know, frogs. And finally, we would be remiss without talking about uh, the vocal sac, uh, because frogs and toads are, are most known, at least to me, for that great, great sound they make in the evening time in the American South and all over the world. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So, you know, like you've seen pictures and video of a frog's, like their, their skin under their chin just suddenly turns into a huge bubble. Yeah. So what they're doing right then is they're taking in a tremendous amount of air and they're holding it in their vocals or in, in their um air sac, right? Yeah. And they're moving it, keeping it in their their air sac. They're not releasing it, but they're moving it around across their vocal cords. And that's what makes like the ribbit sound or the croaking or the trilling sound. Yeah. Uh And it's pretty awesome. Um And one of the reasons why they're making those sounds, or at least one of the sounds, is they're attracting a mate right they're talking to one another they're saying hey what do you think yeah and that sound can be everything from a croak to a ribbit to like there's this i don't know there may be more than one species but there's this one i've heard this summer that sounds and i've heard people call the police because it sounds like a child that's in danger yeah can you do an impression of it no i wish i could it's just super loud and it sounds like a, a a child that's hurt it's like a screaming sound. Oh, I've not heard of that one. Oh, man. It's crazy sounding. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll send you a link. I bet you there's a YouTube uh, recording or something. It's like uh, peacocks going, help. It's <laughs> yeah. off-putting, isn't it? I still say that to this day because of you. Help. Because we got a neighborhood peacock that I've talked about. So, Chuck, when frogs are making these mating calls, right? Yes. They're saying, hey, baby, how's it going? Mm-hmm. Um, and the frog might come over or the the male frog might say, I like your look. Uh, I'm going to climb on top of you. How about that? And there's actually, because frogs are in a lot of cases, not, not sexually dimorphic, like you can't visually tell the difference between a male and a female frog of that species. Yeah. Apparently that extends not just to us humans, but to frogs as well, because there's a something called a release call. To where if a a male frog has mounted another male frog, the male frog that's been mounted will have a release call saying like, uh, I'm a dude, buddy. Um, keep looking. Yeah. I think they've actually recorded that sound in, uh, nature. Oh yeah. And I think it's something like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I like you as a friend. <laughs> So the frog will move on. It's funny that like they, they get confused just from looking as well and that it takes like a, a reactive yeah. process to, <laughs> to handle that, you know? Yeah. It's called, uh, amplexus, which is the, um, position that they're in. 
Yeah, that's the mounting position. Yeah, and the male literally gets on the back and clasps uh, the forelegs around the, the lady frog's middle, right. and they can stay there for days like that. However long it takes. Pretty much. Um, it's and just a sensual <laughs> seduction. Uh, basically just waiting for the female to release her eggs. And um, as far as reproduction goes, and this is something that we all learned about when we were little kids mm-hmm. with frogs, with the tadpoles, we'll, we'll get into that. But the general rule of thumb with most is that they're all sexual reproducers and all frogs and toads will be hatched from an egg. Right. Depending on how they come out, there's big differences too. Like most, well, I don't even want to say most. I saw somewhere like half of frogs come out fully formed, just super small. That's adorable. Uh, the, oh, I'll bet. Um, the other, say half, come out as tadpoles. And that's the one that like every little kid knows about. It's, it's frog reproductive biology, right? Yeah. And depending on the species, they can do crazy adaptive things. Like there's one species that incubates like the, the, Female frog clears out her belly and then incubates the eggs in its belly right. for the whole time. And the frog is born out of her mouth, essentially. Right. She's like, go forth. Uh, there's another one where, because we always, you know, have been saying that moisture is super important to their survival. Right. Um, there are some that uh, if they're in very dry areas, the um, daddy frog will, I think it's a daddy frog or is it either one of them? It's the dad, from what I understand. The 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 dad the dad will pee on the eggs, right, to keep them wet. The, that's the uh, I think the strawberry poison dart frog does that, and um, after they hatch into tadpoles, the mom apparently carries them on her back to little pools of water that are um, collected in like a plant, right, and each one gets its own little pool of water. Isn't that cute? Yeah, and I didn't know this, but they they can hatch and grow in like a regular full body of water, like a lake. Yeah. But I think the process is just a lot slower there than it is the temporary pool. Yeah, so like a like a a rain pool or something like that, um, or just just a huge puddle that's developed. It's going to be much faster because they have less time to to work with, right? Uh, yeah, I couldn't figure it out. Is that the deal? Yeah, that's what I understand. Okay. So, um, they're they're um developmental processes accelerated but again there's you you can't just say this is how it is for all frogs there's differences with all of them um but for the most part ones that are hatched from eggs as tadpoles will start to eat and again some are born with teeth mm-hmm. which i can't even imagine how small those teeth are um and might be herbivores or they might be omnivores Others are herbivores, but frogs grow up to be carnivores, I believe, right? Yes. But they start out as tadpoles as uh, vegetarians in a lot of cases. Yeah, so they start eating a bit. Uh, the metamorphosis is taking shape. Um, as we all saw in, on the film strip in elementary school, mm-hmm. those little back legs start to grow. Yep. Uh, their little internal organs start to change. They, they get their tiny little lungs. Uh, they get their little digestive system going, and then that tail just shrinks and shrinks and eventually just is absorbed into the body. Yeah, and as their tail is shrinking, their front legs are growing, and their digestive system is altering itself from in a plant-based diet to a meat-based diet. Yeah. And then they leave land, and when they leave land, they're 
considered a froglet, I guess, until their tail fully goes away. Yeah. And then they're a frog and they say rip it. They do. And then they say, I'm hungry. I want to eat some insects mm-hmm. and I want to uh, try to avoid being eaten by something bigger than me. Yeah. So they eat a really surprising range of things. They'll eat insects, obviously, flying insects, mosquitoes, flies, grasshoppers. They also eat worms, mm-hmm. snakes, mice, baby turtles, other frogs. Yeah. They'll eat it all. They'll cannibalize one another, which if you think, you know, it's so wrong, cannibalism is just so wrong. It's actually a pretty easy and low-hanging fruit <laughs> check on, like, overpopulation. Yeah. Like, if the the species polices itself or polices its own population, that's actually pretty smart, really. Yeah, it's true. It's still dreadful. Like, uh, Paulette over there had had 24 little baby froglets. Right. And I'm kind of hungry. Yeah, and some apparently some tadpoles, the ones that will eat meat or um, vegetable, vegetation, they'll eat other tadpoles, too. Oh, really? That young? Yeah. yeah. Man. I know, they start them young. So um, I just talked about avoid being eaten there. Uh, frogs are very famous for having some pretty advanced defense mechanisms. Um, a lot of times it's just all show. Like they'll be super brightly colored, uh, or the, um, the four-eyed frog, the, uh, well, I was going to say the scientific name, but why bother, right? Uh, I practiced. Okay. The Physilamus natureri. Oh, very nice. It sounded so much better when I practiced. Well, cause what you do is you say it like that once, and then the second time you say it just like it's in your vocabulary. The yeah, but I said it like four or five times. So there you go. Yeah, but you have to do it like right in a row. You know what I mean? Oh, I see. Like say it again. Physilamus nederary. <laughs> I think you just do it with a little pizzazz. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's the four-eyed frog, and that's the the dude that has spots on its back uh, that look like eyes near the back legs. And to a predator, they're like, I don't like the looks of that thing, even though yeah. it's just for show. Yeah, if, which is kind of weird because if you look at it, it just looks like a frog going one way or the other. I don't know what's intimidating about Maybe it. Maybe that's what's scary. Like, I don't know which way that dude's going to jump. I guess so. He's, that's he's a good going point. forward. He's going backward. Um, a lot of frogs will use uh, color. Like, I was like, what is the the evolutionary adaptation of bright, bright colors for frogs? It doesn't make any sense. Well, apparently, they do that to basically advertise to predators Hey man, I'm super poisonous. You do not want to eat me. Yeah, and it works. even though they may not be. Yeah, it could be a fluke or a fake. I mean, I've heard enough about that though that if I was traveling in like the Amazon and I saw a, a bright blue frog, I wouldn't kiss that guy. No, that's a poison dart tree frog. Well, that's the other thing I was talking about. The show, you know, a lot of this for show, but a lot of it isn't. Some frogs have uh, very highly concentrated toxins. Mm-hmm. That, uh, like the poison dart frog, like you said, and, and those dudes are, can be harmful to the touch to a human. Yeah. You can absorb that, that toxin through your skin. Uh, and apparently they make this toxin by collecting it from ants that they eat. They eat like poisonous ants. Crazy. And the, the toxic alkaloids from the ants own toxin accumulates in these storage glands in the frog, but doesn't affect the frog. But, brother, it's going to affect you. 
Yeah, so even that same, if you have a poison dart frog that's been raised in captivity and not fed those ants, I think it might have a little toxicity, but nothing like yeah the real deal. I think that's how they found out. They were like, oh, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Why would they become less toxic in captivity? Yeah, I've been looking this guy in the cage since nothing. he was born. Right. So let's let's take a break, our last break, Chuck. Okay. And then we're going to come back because we have more to say. Okay, dude. So we talked um, briefly about, you mentioned how they need water. Like water is essential to frogs throughout their, their life process, right? Yeah. And this is one of the things that makes them really fragile. Um, in some cases, they're fragile because there are places where they may run out of water. Their water supply might dry up. Mm -hmm. And that would be really bad for a frog because not only does a frog get a lot of its water um, through its skin, uh, it gets some of its oxygen and does carbon dioxide and oxygen exchange in large part through its skin as well, right? So it, for all of this stuff to happen, it needs to be wet. Um, which means that if the water that they're coming in contact with, since they're so permeable and they take in that water so readily, if there's stuff present in the water, like toxins or pollution or something like that, yeah. it's going to affect the frogs as well. And since the frog species are fairly fragile, um, as far as, as species go, they're kind of like the glass Joe of the animal kingdom. Remember him from Mike Tyson's punch out? Mm. The first guy you'd fight? I, I never played that. What? I never played punch out. You never did? No. Man, that was a great game. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm not going to do my patented thing. <laughs> what? Which is, I can't believe you haven't played that. Yeah. I don't think I had that system. What system was that on? The original uh, Nintendo. Yeah, I never owned one. I had various roommates with those. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of subject to whatever games they liked. Gotcha. I never played Zelda either, you know. I was never into Zelda either. I liked Metroid, though. Mm, don't think I played that. All right. We we played a lot of Super Mario Brothers, so. Yeah, that was so good. Yeah. Um, Well. Glass Joe. Yeah, that's right. So, so that's what frogs are. They're basically like a, a really fragile group to begin with. But if you start contributing to their demise through pollution and stuff, it's going to pick up much more rapidly. And we're starting to see that, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, I often rant about not using chemicals in my yard. And that's, it's not just because I have dogs, but it's, you know, runoff from that stuff affects everything around my house. Right. And that's just on a small level. Yeah. You see it in, in large scale with, you know, huge farms that use pesticides and insecticides and that affects the local ecosystem as a whole. That's right. And it kind of gets across if you have like those sewers where they stencil spray paint like a, a fish or something. It says yeah. goes to, to wetlands or a stream or something like yeah. that. I think that's really effective. I think they should put that on all sewers, basically. Yeah. Or maybe even a sign so you don't have to be walking over it to see it. Yeah, there you go. Like when you're driving by? Or just make it common knowledge. I think people know that, but they need reminders. Yeah, I think they do too. Uh, so that's one threat to frogs because of man. Mm -hmm. Another one is, well, people eating and hunting 
frogs to eat. Yep. They try and raise them on farms, but uh, it's not the, the easiest thing to have a frog farm, apparently. No, they'll hop out of there. So hunting and capturing frogs to put on the menu in some parts of the world is a very big deal. So they're in steep decline in those places. Have you ever eaten frogs? I have had frog legs before, what do you but think? it's been a long time and it's it won't happen again. I um used to, as a kid, go to this dinner theater in, I think Grand Rapids, Michigan is where it was. <laughs> and on the buffet, they always had frog's legs. Yeah. And I would eat piles of frog's legs. <laughs> yeah. As like a seven, eight-year-old kid, it was really crazy how adventurous I was, right? I would do anything to have a videotape of that. And um, <laughs> like I got fat off of frog's legs. That's tough to do. Yeah. So I, I, I wonder now if I would like them, but that's not to be because one of Yumi's greatest fears in the world is being anywhere near a frog. Oh, really? One of her top phobias is frogs just in general, huh. everything about frogs. So there's zero chance there's actually a negative chance that i will ever be able to eat a frog leg again right at least with her around i'll have to fly up to grand rapids myself that'll be your big dirty marital secret <laughs> right where have you been <laughs> well we been had a show in, in grand, detroit so grand rapids uh... <laughs> yeah we wow. had a show in detroit Scared of frogs that's a, i've heard of that before i think uh you haven't or no you i haven't? have i mean yeah. i'm sure every animal out there has someone who's afraid of it sure but um yeah, I didn't know that. Frogs. I like frogs. Yeah. It's good to know. <laughs> yeah. You're like, Yumi, what do you think of this? No, like, I know not to do that. That's good of you, Chuck. I uh, wish I'd thought of that before <laughs> I'd done it. Um, one of the other big threats to frogs is global warming. Um, they are ectothermic animals. So they that means they rely on the environment to control their body temperature. They don't have that internal regulation. So if it's hot outside, the frog gets hot. And um, if it's cold, they get cold. Uh, in case, uh, in the case of the wood frog, they live north of the Arctic Circle, and they can freeze. This is remarkable. Mm-hmm. They can freeze up to forty-five percent of its body in the winter time, and uh, to protect itself from damage, and then they thaw themselves out again in the spring. Right. Uh, but that doesn't help you if if it's too hot. Well, that's when you ameliorate when it's too hot. But this is sure. like this is just a few species that are capable of of hibernating and estivating like this. Yeah. For the most part, frogs need because they're ectothermic, they need a pretty stable temperature. Yeah. And from what I saw, um even worse than high temperatures for frogs uh, that's associated with um global warming are uh temperature swings, like big right. swings in temperature are really hard on frog populations and that they think that's one reason why frogs have been declining but from that one study that really established like there are 200 species that we've lost since the 70s the guy who led the study was like i I can't say why i have no idea he's like it's probably this it's probably this it's probably this it's all these different things but he said the thing that really made him nervous was that it was happening all over the world but he didn't think it was just climate change or just global warming that was doing it yeah one of the other things that frogs face that they they know all about but are having a tough time dealing with is a, a kind of fungus called a chytrid or chytrid. Which one did you come up with pronunciation-wise? Chytrid, but it could be either, I guess, C-H-Y-trid. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's a fungus that feeds on keratin, which we've talked about before. That's, um, isn't that is what's in our fingernails? Yeah, or your hair. Yeah, basically makes skin tough and sturdy. 
uh, and little tadpoles just have a little bit of that stuff around their mouths. But when they grow, the parts that are most often in contact with the ground, like the, their little cute little soft bellies or the soles of their feet. Their delicious feet. Now I can just think of Yumi just like her skin crawling, like listening to this thing. Yeah, I don't know if I should have <laughs> should have told everybody that one. That's like her Achilles heel. Yeah. Uh, so as this stuff comes in contact with the ground more, they um, – they get that build up to where just they need tougher skin down there. Yeah. So, and that's, that's where this fungus will take root. Right. Because that tougher skin is made of keratin, right? Yeah. So the, since the fungus feeds on it, they're like, Oh, well, it's going to kill a frog, but they don't actually know the mechanism by which the frog dies from the, uh, the kite, chytrid. Is that what you said? That's what I said. They think that possibly it is that the fungus releases a toxin. Maybe. Yeah. That the frog takes in through its skin or that it inhibits that gas exchange of oxygen for carbon dioxide, uh, on the frog's skin. But those are just a couple of hypotheses. They're, they're, they still have no idea. They just know it's killing frogs and it's killing them fast. And the reason why it's spreading so well, they've traced it back to the African clawed toad. Yeah. Which it doesn't have a poor effect on them. But they can spread it to other frogs, and it's those have become an invasive species in a lot of areas. Yeah, because they're pets, and people release frogs as pets when they're no longer puppies. Which is something you should not do. No, 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 no. They're, they're, that's, the frogs take over really, really quickly. Remember we um, did an episode on Will Toads Give You Warts? Yes. Uh, and we talked about the cane toad and how it's just taken over Australia. Um, frog populations, as fragile as they are, can also, as, as an invasive species, just boom, right? Yeah. They also were ubiquitous because for decades, starting in 1930, they were the fastest way to tell if you were pregnant. Oh, cane toads? No, uh, the African clawed toad. Oh, okay. Did you know about that? I don't think so. Oh, well, allow me. You ready? Yeah. Back in the day... If you were a woman who wanted to know you were pregnant, you would go to your doctor. Your doctor would take a urine sample and send it off. And at a lab, they would take a sample of your urine, inject it into a rabbit, and then they would kill the rabbit, cut the rabbit open, and inspect its ovaries to see if it had reacted to a hormone that shows up only in pregnant women. Yeah. Uh, human chorionic gonadotropin, right? Yeah, which I've, I've heard of that. Okay. So I guess it would be HCG. Is, is present in the urine of pregnant women. And you can tell very early on if a woman's pregnant from the presence of it. But they had the most roundabout way of all time to find out, to detect the presence of it. Well, enter the African clawed toad, where this researcher with the name of, get this, Lancelot Hogben, <laughs> thought to inject a toad with it. And the toad stays alive, it just releases eggs or sperm if there is HCG present in the woman's urine. Right. So that, for decades, Chuck, was how you would tell if you were pregnant. They would, somebody in a lab somewhere would inject your urine into a frog to see if they release sperm or eggs. Crazy. And then they'd say, mazel tov. Yeah. That is nuts. Uh You mentioned the cane toad in Australia, which we... Did talk about a little bit, but they there's a great documentary, a very classic documentary from the late 80s, I think. Was it 70s? I think it was 80s mm -hmm. about the cane toad. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the all time classic docs. If you haven't seen it, you should check that out. 
But uh, cane toads are very famously brought over in 1935. Uh, and this it just seems like it always goes this way when <laughs> someone says, hey, let's bring in this to handle this. Yeah. Uh, even though nature hasn't, it always goes wrong, it seems like. Yeah. So they brought these cane toads over to uh, take care of the scarab beetle. But then once they got over here, they were the scarabs are eating the sugar cane crops. Um, they realized that these big, fat cane toads couldn't jump high enough to get to the beetles <laughs> for the most part. And so they all of a sudden were just there, and they reproduced like bunny rabbits. And so before you know it, Australia uh, very famously had a cane toad problem, and I think still does, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's big. They were advancing toward Sydney or Perth or some large city, um, just ruining cropland on the way. Yeah, they have a huge problem still as far as I know. I just saw one recent thing. I don't know if it's still the case, but I think they found some ant that will kill these cane toads. Okay. They're called meat ants. Okay. It sounds like something out of a horror movie. Yeah, that does sound pretty bad. But I, I don't know if that's still the case, but I do know that Australia spent a lot of money over the years trying to control the cane toads. Yeah. Um and yeah, as far as I know, they still have a huge problem with it. Maybe, Josh, we will see some in 2018 when we, fingers crossed, visit Australia to do live shows. That'll be great. We're going to go catch a couple and at least get a couple out of Australia's hair while we're there. Yeah, so that, that is uh, sort of a pre-announcement. Um, hopefully, we're going to be hitting Australia and New Zealand next year. Oh, is that what you were doing? Yeah, if everything goes well, uh, that is the plan. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm pretty psyched about it. I just have to find some good pills to get me through that flight. So I'll tell you what you could do for the flight back. What's that? You could take one of those cane toads, squeeze it, and then lick the secretions. <laughs> yeah, so that's a real thing. If you've heard, hey, well, licking frogs uh, make me hallucinate, it, that is actually a real thing. And there are, um, in the 80s, the Australian government, and this doesn't just happen in Australia, uh, they have outlawed cane toad secretion under the Drug Misuse Act. And uh, there's another chemical called bufotenine that is, in the U.S., a controlled substance. Yeah, from the Colorado River toad. And you can own a Colorado River toad, but, buddy, you better not lick it because that is illegal. Yeah, so what do you do? You um, squeeze the uh, parotoid glands behind the eardrums. Yeah. There'll be an oozy, milky substance that leaks out, and then you can either lick it right there, right, or you can collect it, dry it, and smoke it. And here's the thing. Like, don't do that. No. Do not do that. Not just because it's illegal, it's a controlled substance, but because you have no idea how toxic that that chemical is, how potent it is. You can't, you can't control the dosage. Yeah. And so if you overdose, you, you will probably suffer cardiac arrest and die. Mm -hmm. And there's no way for you to know whether you're going to trip because this stuff has like a, um, it's from the same family as DMT, dimethylethamine, right. ethylanamine. Man, I practiced that one too. But DMT, um, it's in the same family. So it will either make you trip or it will kill you. And there's no way for you to tell ahead of time. So there's really no reason whatsoever for you to be licking toads. No. Your Uncle Josh and your Uncle Chuck are telling you straight out, don't lick toads. <laughs> Agreed. And, and yet people have been doing it since at the very least 1150 B.C. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they found archaeological evidence pointing to South American Indian tribes uh, licking frogs. Yeah, Colorado <laughs> River toad. And of course, it's in Colorado. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, yeah, man. I'm going to christen these new hiking boots by licking a toad. <laughs> these new sweet basques. <laughs> right. <laughs> what else you got? I got nothing else. That's frogs. That was a long one. Yeah. We haven't done a good old-fashioned animal episode in a long time. I know. I missed it. Um, well, if you want to know more about frogs and toads, TS, because there's nothing more to know. But you can support Tracy V. Wilson by going and reading this article on uh, HowStuffWorks.com. You can also go check out her work on uh, Stuff You Missed in History Class. That great podcast. Agreed. And since I said stuff you missed in history class, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this the secondary follow-up to the Satanist Satanist? Mm -hmm. episode. And this will probably be the last one we read. Okay. Uh, Just listen to your show on Anton LaVey and Satanism, guys. As a former leader of a secular interest group, I'm embarrassed to say I'd never heard of him until your show. It's hard to believe. Yeah, it is. I've always believed that the best way to show how absurd religious endorsement is is taking it to its logical conclusion. Although the flying spaghetti monster demonstrates this through parody, I have no idea there was a group who was demonstrating this through practice. Uh, I believe secularism is a good thing for everyone, including my Christian friends. Although I think Satan is a dubious hero to champion secularism uh, for the mere reason of the knee-jerk reaction to the name Satan, uh, I am not uh, at all opposed to the Church of Satan's idea to hold up a mirror to those working on religious establishment. Uh, I want to say thank you for faithfully reporting on people like Satanists. It's hard to argue the position when you stand to gain something from your position. Uh, you guys have the advantage of reaching people while their guard is down, and you used it to challenge their views on something as unequivocally evil-sounding as Satanist. I very well may uh, become a secret Satanist after your podcast. Take the plunge with me, Chuck. Uh, and that is from Travis Romero well thanks a lot Travis if you want to get in touch with us like Travis did you can tweet to us at SYSK podcast or join us on facebook.com slash stuff you should know you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com and as always join us at our home on the web stuffyoushouldknow.com for more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com (laughs) 